You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Sob here. Excited to be joined by a fellow from my fellow's class. Jesse Mogaris is here from the 2010 crew, the legendary 2010 crew. It's first time on a podcast, so let's get to it. Yeah, what? So we're approaching almost a decade since we were fellows. What do you What do you remember about being a 2010 NLCLA fellow? God, that was so long ago. Um, it's you're right. It's been almost a decade. Um, I remember it being a really transformative experience, both from kind of a, a content perspective, but then also just getting to know some really great great people um, who have done some pretty awesome things over the last few years. So. Um, yeah, then I was trying to remember, what, what were you doing at that time? Were you in the classroom? Or were you just out of the classroom? This was what, 09, 010? Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it was sort of January 2010, I guess, yeah. Um, I think I was working for a consulting firm at the time. Hmm. And somewhere around that time is when I returned back to, to schools, I think within a year, okay. doing an LC. Yeah, and then give people a scoop about what your job is presently and where you work. Yeah, so I'm the director of mathematics for Alliance College Ready Public Schools. We are a charter network here in Los Angeles. We have 28 schools um, serving mostly South LA, East LA, and the downtown area. Um, a lot of my job is really um, can be sort of themed up into a couple questions. And so, like, really the ultimate question is uh, how are we ensuring that we are getting our kids to graduate from college. Um, I think a lot about how are we ensuring that they're prepared for those like math related jobs. They're going to be some of the top five paying jobs. Um, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. And then do you feel like you split that time, like hold up in a room thinking about curriculum and writing curriculum for folks, or are you out in classrooms coaching people up? What What's the bulk of your time spent doing? Yeah. So I have a team. So I have a, uh, Five people on my team, four of them are in schools all the time. They have a portfolio of schools and they work with coaches and teachers. Um, I spend a lot of my time coaching my team to be more effective um, in in their coaching of coaches and coaching of teachers. Um, There's another aspect of it where uh, we don't write curriculum, but we make curriculum recommendations. And so we want to ensure that the right mathematical tasks are in front of kids um, every day. And then we also want to help teachers figure out how to internalize that curriculum so that they can prepare to teach in front of kids what are some of the pedagogical moves and what that looks like in a math classroom. And then ultimately, uh, our kids learning the, the, the key things that they need to learn in each lesson. And so we look at student work, we look at data, and um, try to figure out like what are some of the learnings, what are some of the gaps, and how do we address that. But my time, I say, would be split evenly between being at schools, watching video, um, reviewing documents, interims, assessments, that sort of thing. And I think most people have some understanding that there's been a shift in how we teach math, right? So people have enough kind of eye on the news to see that for the most part, the majority of states, if not the majority of the country, shifted to a new set of standards and common core standards. And since then, maybe they've seen funny videos on Facebook or, or random posts there where like, I can't understand this math or why is it so hard to teach multiplication now? But how do you distill down the, the, the really important changes that have been made and how we present and teach math to kids now? Yeah. The, the new math is, is a lot of people um, like to confront me about. So 
I, I think there's a, there's a couple key things, right? So like most of us grew up in an era when we learned math in a very procedural way. So it used to be that the teacher stood up in front of the classroom and would say, uh, I'm going to model these steps for you. you know, we're going to do it together. And then you do 30 problems from this page. Um, and no one talks. And, and <laughs> someone asks a question like why, the kid is told not to ask why, just sort of memorize these procedures yeah. that we're never going to use again. And so we've shifted away from that um, into common core. And so the, the, the idea is we want to vertically align to what people actually do with math fields uh, in careers, like in the real world, right? So like if you are in a math-related field, you're not asked to regurgitate um, a bunch of steps without thinking, right? Like instead what you're given is like, here is this complex world problem that we're trying to figure out. There's no clear cut answer. There's many ways that we might be able to use math and different methods in math to solve this problem. And you're usually working in groups. And so you have to figure out a way that it makes sense to you. You have to be able to prove your reasoning and, and convince other folks and justify your thinking. And then with your group arrive at, um, sort of like a consensus, like we're going to try this out, might make some mistakes, but then we will learn from those mistakes. And so really the, the common core practices, um, the mathematical practices as they're called, is really trying to align what happens in the real world um, it with, or trying to align our classrooms rather, our classroom instruction to what happens in the real world. And so that's a lot of like the practices that we want to see. There were some other things, um, really trying to get students to understand more conceptual math as oftentimes there's kind of like this debate like oh should we be doing conceptual or procedure it's actually both um but but uh it used to be that it was very procedure uh and then there was a, a slimming down of standards um there's a lot less standards that are taught than there were in, in the past however there is a movement right now um that there's still too many standards, particularly in high school, and, and there's uh, some stuff that the state of California is sort of like beginning to discover to, or to investigate to figure out, like, can we get rid of some of these other standards that, like, maybe we don't need? Um, I've heard some talk around Algebra 2 and do some more um, kind of data analysis, but that's far in the future. Uh, some stuff that's going on in the math world. Yeah, sounds good. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what it's like to work with a bunch of schools and what's up in education in LA. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, I feel like this will be a year studied in the future about education in LA. So much has happened since January. Teacher strikes and changes to charter laws and all these kind of things. Where do you feel like we are presently and where do you feel like education in LA is going to go? Yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's going to go, but um, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Like, ultimately, to me, it's really about like, I do this work. And, and you know, a lot of people do this work because we care about um, the, the, the educational outcomes, like a social justice issue for me, like where we, I want to make sure or we all want to make sure that our students are prepared for college and for life and beyond. Um, I think what I often hear in the media and these conversations and debates are things that are really important, but I think oftentimes these debates, we miss um, the conversation around what the science says or what evidence 
um, what studies say about what's like actually pushes student learning. And that's, I think, a big miss that I don't think is happening in um, a lot of policy making sort of uh, policy making conversations or decision makers. And, and I, I worry a lot. I'm optimistic because I think, you know, I get a chance to work with like really incredible, dedicated, dedicated teachers, administrators, and, and folks in our network and across the city. Um, but I do worry that oftentimes, like, it seems to me like decisions are being made without looking at some of, like, the data and evidence and what that suggests is best for kids. And then as a progressive, how do you wrestle with some of the heated rhetoric around charter schools? You've worked in a couple of networks. You've worked in non-charter schools as well. Um, but it's definitely a, a challenging topic for some folks. And we've had plenty of debates in the ALC space about... Uh, charter schools and magnets and traditional schools and all the types and the the cross sector work, all those kind of things. But yeah, how do you kind of square being a progressive when weirdly schools that are performing well for students of color is is oddly not a democratic or progressive topic that comes up very much right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to like in these conversations of well, it's charter versus district, or it's this versus that, um, private versus public. I think what gets missed again is like what, like what are schools, both district schools and charter schools, like what are, what are like some amazing things because they are out there that people are doing in classrooms and schools and districts across the state and across the country, um, and we all really this is like to me it's an opportunity that we all can be learning from each other um, and setting up collaborative spaces. I I think I'm uncomfortable with, with when it, the conversation is framed. Uh, when it's like a district versus a charter school, I, I don't, I don't think that's the conversation that we should be having. We really should be thinking like, how do we, like we have this really complex issue of um, that we're, I think we all should be trying to solve, which is how do we ensure that we're uh, preparing our students for for uh, college and beyond. Um, and I, I don't think we are helping solve that issue when we are against each other when I think we're actually all in the same boat. Yeah, makes sense. Listen, last thing, give us uh, something to watch for either the rest of this calendar year or into 2020, whether it's in the ed space, maybe it's political races, maybe it's something else. What kind of things are you keeping your eye on? Um, so I'm keeping my eye on the, the national democratic uh, presidential race. Um, I think, uh, you know, to me, I'm kind of in the space of like, I just want whoever is going to win <laughs> gets their best chance to beat Trump um, to, to, to be our nominee. But uh, I'm also kind of, I'm also interested in like the ed policy. So I'm curious to see how ed policy is going to uh, sort of take place in, in the national democratic presidential elections. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of variety on that. Elizabeth Warren came out this week with her, her first real plan on education and has a lot to say about some of the things we just discussed. Bernie too. And, you know, I think Booker's done a lot of interesting things when he was in, in Newark and Jersey. Um, Castro too. Yeah. There's definitely a lot to, to sift through and to look at. I think you're right. Wilson, thanks for coming on. It's always good to have someone from the 2010 class on the pod and good to have a fellow educator as well. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode. You can catch all past episodes and there's almost 150 now in the Google 
podcast store, Apple podcast store, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. They're all there. Plenty of short, sweet episodes with amazing progressives in LA and across the country. Check them out. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.